0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1812. Today, we're going to have fun with motorcycles. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah! Today I'm in Brentwood, Tennessee, with a very special guest on two wheels by the name of Summer Hooker. Hey, Summer, welcome to Cars Yeah! Do you have in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Very good.
0: All right, we'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive in to the world of classic vintage motorcycles, which is something I love, would you share one little thing that most people maybe don't know about you?
1: One thing is my background is in mental health. I have several degrees in psychology and for years ran programs for emotionally disturbed children and youth and helped establish the first residential program for autistic children in the state of Tennessee.
0: Wow. Well, what a rewarding career that must be, not only helping people, but specifically children. My sister's been a special ed teacher for almost 35 years now. I always call her a a saint, an angel for what she's done.
1: That is. It takes a special type of person. We had a person who started our program said, I had a great expression, said, nobody stands taller than those who stoop to help a child.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, my hat's off to you for what you've done for children uh, and helping them through life and everything. So very noble and wonderful career that you've had. But today we're going to be talking about vintage motorcycles. Since we are at Cars Yeah, today we'll call it Motorcycles Yeah. Allow me to give you a proper introduction and we'll dive into your life here. Summer Hooker is an expert in the world of vintage motorcycles. He's the chief judge at the Quail Motorcycle Gathering, the Pinehurst Concours, the Cobble Beach Concours, Chattanooga Motor Festival, Audrain Concours, Pinehurst Concours, and Salon Privé at Blenheim Palace in the UK. Wow, that's a lot of places. He's the author of many articles which have been published in Old, Car, Old Cars Weekly, Sports Car Market Magazine, Motorcycle Classics, Walnicks, and new atlas. He has been a field judge for the Pebble Beach Concours, Hilton Head Concours, Radnor Hunt, and was a chief judge at the Celebration of the Motorcycle and a field judge at the Legend of the Motorcycle. So we see the the trend here with motorcycles. He is also a member of the International Council of Judge Advisory Groups known as IC Jag, which you've heard here on this show before. We'll be back in just a minute to talk motorcycles with Summer, but first a word from our valued sponsors. So give them a little listen. Keep your helmets on. We'll be right back. One of your vehicle's interior surfaces that gets a lot of abuse is your dashboard. The sun beats down and those damaging UV rays cause massive heat cycles, resulting in color changes and sometimes cracks. My friends at Covercraft have a great solution for you and for me. Their custom-tailored dash mats protect your dash from heat buildup while providing a stylus solution. You can choose from a variety of styles and colors including carpet, suede mat, that's the one I have for my vehicles, Carhartt limited edition velour mats, and the ultimat for trucks and SUVs. Another great benefit of your Covercraft dash mat is that it eliminates the harsh glare the sun produces from your dash to the inside of your windshield, which can make driving a hazard. Covercraft's dash mat design center is located in Arizona, where they know about harsh sun. I've got a special deal for you. If you use the code YAH21, Y-E-A-H-21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code yeah, 21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. Most people don't think about their collector car insurance until their annual premium becomes due. Well, why wait and see if there are better options for your beloved rides? I didn't. Did you know if you change carriers before your policy runs out, your insurance company has to refund you the unearned portion of your policy premium? I did my homework, I shopped around, and I found American Collectors Insurance. And that's who protects my Porsche Turbo. That's right, the one I call my orange crush. They've been protecting collector vehicles since 1976. 9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green at Cars. Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Give them a call today. All right, Summer, we are back. So let's go a little deeper into the corner as we lean the bike over and talk about this path you've taken with vintage motorcycles. Maybe take us back to the beginning of when you realized this was something you really wanted to get involved with outside of your normal career with uh, working with children.
1: Well, it kind of started when I was in the Navy, I wound up buying a matchless, which was already out of business. So I had to learn how to find parts. And that kind of, you know, I learned how to just go around, beat on doors and so forth. This is when I was living in the Bay Area. So, and then after that, I guess kind of uh, drifted on. My brother used to go to England and buy uh, Vincent motorcycles, and so I kind of became exposed to them, and uh been very knowledgeable about them now, but as I went along, sometimes I would buy an old bike and there would be some parts in there with it, so I've learned, you know, you can sell off some of the parts and help cover your nuts, so to speak, and then it just kind of Pretty soon, the parts started stacking up, and I started. eventually moved into a uh, kind of unofficial mail-order business. And then years later, I just decided to take the plunge and do it full-time.
0: Wow. So you're one of these guys that had what I call kind of a side hustle going. Uh, You have a passion. You have a main career that supports you. But this side passion just grows and grows and grows until it becomes something real and substantial, and then you got involved in judging because of all these years of knowledge. How did that progress?
1: Well, it was, uh I kind of talked my way into the first position. Well, actually, I used to help with the Antique Motorcycle Club of America because they had very few judges back in the 80s that really understood British motorcycles. So I would go in there and kind of look bikes over for them. And then in the uh later There was a show coming up, and they asked me if I would bring a bike, and I said, well, why don't you just ask me to be a judge? And so they did, and I kind of got into it, did that for a few years, and then unfortunately that show uh, went away with the uh, recession in 2008. So after that, I got asked to come over to the Quail Motorcycle Gathering, which was Kind of, they had started off in one way and the contestants didn't like it, so they asked, they wanted more objective judging, so they brought me in to set up some sort of structure, and I've been doing that ever since. But since then, about the same time, I also started doing some judging with Pebble Beach and got introduced to the objective format that I see Jag adheres to and/or embraces. So I kind of learned how to do a more structured approach and oh, my experience is I may have mentioned one time when you're dealing with old bikes people want correct stuff. If you wind up with something that's not correct then you wind up paying. And I tell people you pay a lot of tuition in that business.
0: <laughs> like <laughs> uh, the, the old car business same thing. Right
1: it's, exactly. So kind of learned, and I learned how to be a quick study, so if, um, sometimes when, back when we were doing Pebble Beach with motorcycles, I would set up a website for all the judges in our class, and we, I would go out and research all the bikes, and I would find original pictures, because that's what you're judging against is original, and so we had, you know, kind of some case studies, you might say, to look at and get an idea of what was really correct in there, oh, and so that was, a. Uh, kind of a skill that I brought forward or overgeneralized, then you, you have to understand there's also different formats for judging. There's, you know, the ICJ format, which is very objective to the original manufacturer standards. And then you have what you call loosely concours or French judging, which is just one of the aesthetics of it. And uh, so I've learned to use both formats. And, all, uh, oh, but, you know, I'm more fond of... Uh, I see JAG mainly because I helped do the standards for it. And two, I tell people, what do you want people to see, you know, 50 years from now as an original example? Uh, you can't have an embellished example. Uh, and sometimes some people just overdo restorations.
0: Absolutely. Ed Gilbertson, who's the, really the I C Jag founder and put that whole program together, has been a longtime friend, been a guest here on the show. And I love what he's done because I've been to car shows before. I've taken cars I've had where it's more of a loosey-goosey, maybe French-type judging. And you kind of scratch your head sometimes to go, well, why did that car win over that car? That's curious to me. Whereas maybe you could explain to our listeners a little bit more about how Jag works with, because we've heard on this show how it works with automobiles, how it works with bikes. Because bikes are... Just like old cars, they have the right way they're restored, the wrong way, or maybe something in between. So, can you touch on that a little bit?
1: Sure. Ed has always been kind of a guiding light for me. We met early on, and didn't always agree about things, but uh, he had some very good observations. And but it's pretty much the same way you approach a car. I tell people your ultimate standard has to be what would the what did this bike look like when it's pulled out of a crate. And that's what you're going to judge against. Did it have cadmium plating, nickel plating? you got to remember, a lot of these were kind of industrial vehicles. So they didn't have 20 coats of hand-rubbed lacquer on there. Sometimes, you know, they had runs in the paint. And, you know, there's an old great joke about an Italian motorcycle that showed up for a test when it was brand new. And you could see a fly laminated into the fiberglass. (laughs) Sure, yeah. (laughs) give extra points for flies or anything
0: (laughs) yeah so people are taking notes right now summer where do i get a fly where do i get an italian fly
1: it became very big but people put fly decals on their tanks at one (laughs) time but anyway it is you know to i guess you say really show history as it was and not as an artist interpreted it
0: Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, well so important and we saw Places like Pebble go through that Pebble Beach Concours, where there were years when cars were really over-restored, and then we saw the integration of preservation groups. Now, are the same groups that exist in the motorcycle world? Preservation groups where bikes are just even if they're kind of rough, but that's the way they were.
1: Yeah, I've been involved also with HBA, the Historic Vehicle Association. Mm-hmm. Ed Gilbertson and I helped write up the standards for evaluating uh, preservation motorcycles and they follow kind of the same guidelines as you do for cars it's just gets you know two wheels instead of four but you know you you go through mm-hmm. and evaluate the quality of the paint the uh how good it is is the plating correct has there been any upgrades that have been done such as uh you know Repainting certain parts of it, uh, you allow for a certain percentage, which is just, you know, sometimes part of a vehicle's history. But, you know, there's a situation where we have seen where people completely dismantled a vehicle to get thoroughly and do a deep cleaning and then reassembled it. You have to ask yourself, is this really the way it was? You know, that's kind of a judgment call. But but the thing is, it's just to, you know, judge on the merits of originality. And, you know, this is what I tell people. This is what your standard needs to be. You need to study these to know if you're ever going to judge anything, be it restored or what. I'm real fond of preservation bikes. I guess like the, you know, the original paint. And I've had at one time had probably 80% of my motorcycles were original paint examples. Nice. That I found, And, uh. I found I have a vintage black shadow I ride a lot, and it's restored. People say, "Well, how can you ride that after restoring?" I said, so "If I hurt anything, I'll just restore it again."
0: But <laughs> yeah.
1: On an original vehicle, you do it, and that's history. It's not going to be original again.
0: Right, right. I remember Jay Leno's great quote about, I buy cars that are 50-point cars, restore them up to 100-point, point, then drive them back down to 50-point. Right, And uh, and that's the the great thing about a car that's not all original, is you can enjoy it, I think, a little bit more, whereas I've had vehicles that are all original, and you start to become really paranoid about ever using them, which then becomes, what fun is that? That's what these things are for, is to enjoy them. Yeah,
1: Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, it's just... Uh, like you said, they're to be enjoyed and uh, they enjoy it I mean, I have bikes that I you know, run all the time another bike I ride a lot is a 1962 BMW that has 135,000 miles on wow. it you know, we have been into the engine several times and done maintenance on there but it's just you know, it's, and it has, you know, it's original paint but it has a nice patina where a couple more scratches aren't going to matter sure. you know and it's kind of like your old tweed jacket with the patches on the sleeves.
0: <laughs> yeah. Feels pretty darn good. That's for yeah. sure. Let's talk a little bit about driving inspirations for you. Was there a key mentor in your world of judging, collecting, riding, enjoying bikes that helped you move into this world?
1: Well, I had, uh, when I went into business, a person that I came across who was a very short businessman who impressed me it was Gentleman named Bob Shantz. At that time, he ran a company named Dommy Racer and Accessory Mart, and he was very astute observer of business and uh, trends. He uh, he was a good writer, also. He worked for Cycle Magazine. In fact, he was the editor of Cycle Magazine at one time. But he uh, he put out very good catalogs, and he was the first person to computerize. Parts. Hmm. Back in the 80s, uh, he did that. his Actually, probably it started in the 70s. His attitude was people don't know you have it, you can't sell it.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> he developed this whole system where he could take a factory part number, put a preface on it, and convert it to one of his part numbers. And then if you knew his system, you knew you the parts you needed, you knew how to go into his system and do it. Then the other thing is catalogs when he came out. He had an artist in there full time that he uh, would sit there and sketch parts. He said, it's, I found it's better to have a sketch of it than a photo because photos can be misleading and all. But uh, anyway, he was an uh, you know, interesting person to deal with, a very shrewd businessman. He, uh, he said he, he knew and things got bad, he just dropped the price 10%. And, things got good, you raised the price 10%, and he did all that, computer program and all, and uh, so he was a very astute businessman. Another person I crossed paths with very early on is uh, the late Kirk White. Kirk used to deal motorcycles, and always kind of impressed me the way he was a good marketer, and uh, so forth, so I always paid attention to his marketing, crowdness, and so forth, and we stayed friends right up to uh, right before he died. We were in contact every now and then because we had turned out other interests other than motorcycles. Of course, Kirk may know more in the car world, but I later found out that he was into uh, vintage hot rods, which I used to drag race in the 60s, and I still had kind of a, a Jones for old hot rods and later had some and so forth, and uh, oh, but uh, he, he was an interesting character. Sounds uh, like it. Yeah. In judging, you know, probably the best person I ever came across was meeting Ed Gilbertson early on. Uh, you know, he just kind of helped, you know, me learn how to think about how you go in and deal with these things in an objective manner, and uh, so forth. And his format is, you know, was very good to use. We you know, we over the years. He and I have kind of tuned it up a little bit, you might say, for being dealing more with motorcycle issues and so forth. Ed was a real force in that area; he's a real force in the judging field. And I think the good thing about using those standards is they have become international standards, and that puts everybody on equal footing. So if somebody comes in and says, you know, well, I want a show here, you know that they were, had the same standards and somebody had another show where so they say I want them. You know, was, I used to have people come up and tell me about, you know, their motorcycles. They were, well, I won a trophy. It turned out the trophy was on the Kmart parking lot or something like that. You yeah. know, and yeah. not exactly impressive, but it's kind of the standardization of a judging format, which puts everybody on equal footing
0: I think it's a great way to go. Now, if somebody wanted to get into the world of collecting vintage motorcycles, what's the best piece of advice you would offer them? I
1: guess, you know, I guess go with something you like. I used to have people uh, say, you know, what should I buy as far as, you know, look at it as more like an investment. I'd say, well, buy something you like because you're going to have to live with it. You may have to live with it for a long time. The fact of the matter is, is, you know, you just need to kind of follow your passion on that. And uh, the, uh, you know stuff that you like, that you're impressed, and is easy to work with.
0: Absolutely. I've heard that over and over again. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with a challenge question. So uh, keep the revs up. We'll be right back. What began as a charitable car show has grown into the world's greatest collector car auctions, raising over $133 million for charitable organizations to date. For nearly 50 years, automotive enthusiasts from all over the world have enjoyed the Barrett Jackson collector car auctions, and I'm a huge fan. Regarded as the barometer of the collector car industry, their auctions are world class lifestyle events where thousands of the world's most sought after, unique, and valuable automobiles cross the block in front of a global audience, in person, on TV, or streamed online. Barrett-Jackson produces the world's greatest collector car auctions in Scottsdale, Arizona, Palm Beach, Florida, Las Vegas, Nevada, and new for 2021, Houston, Texas. The excitement of Barrett-Jackson auctions is contagious, and a unique experience is not to be missed. And coming soon, something new for you Cars yeah listeners, I'll be teaming up with Craig Jackson on the first ever Barrett-Jackson podcast, coming to your mobile devices every week. Listen here on Cars Yeah! and check out the Barrett Jackson website for unique details on this new, exciting podcast that I'm very proud to be a part of. And be sure to visit BarrettJackson.com today. Barrett Jackson, the world's greatest collector car auctions. I've discovered Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on first-hand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion and mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions, ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. Use the code Yeah when you're subscribing and they'll give you a nice little discount. Compliments of Yeah. Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. <laughs> All right, Summer, I always like to ask my guests about a big challenge they faced. Now, this could be in the motorcycle collecting world, the judging world, could be anything in life. But the more important part of the story, of course, is the lesson learned and how you took that lesson forward in a positive way. So take us on a little ride.
1: Mm, Challenges. I guess the challenge for me was not getting frustrated when business didn't go well. You just have to learn that there are ups and downs and things and just deal with it you know Mm -hmm. it's not even cash flow and so forth uh and i learned to just you know when i was working on stuff i'm not going to say i'm the world's best mechanic but uh you know just kind of i do what i call survival stuff the kind (laughs) of people i tell people a lot of stuff i learned was beside the road
0: sure
1: Uh, and uh but uh i would get into situations and all but Years ago, I met a very interesting character who restored Ducatis, and he only had one arm. Wow. And his restorations were impeccable. I would get into a situation where I couldn't figure out how to get something loose or you know, lined or something like that. And I would just sit down and think, so, well, I wonder what Henry would have done. Yeah. You know, and this guy said, yeah, you should see him use a chisel. I said, well. How's he do that? He said he takes his shoe off, he puts a chisel between his toes, and gets up there and hits it with his arm. I said, like, "Oh, wow. I said now that's that's when you tell people are the only handicapped if they want to be."
0: Absolutely, Henry. Wow, there's a great quote. I wonder what Henry would have done. I'm going to remember that one. I love it. At this point in your life, you still have some bucket list items you'd like to accomplish.
1: Oh. I have, I've done a lot of neat things. I enjoy traveling. I used to be an air crew in the Navy and got used to flying all over uh, Asia and enjoy that. I used to fly across the United States a lot on Navy planes and I like traveling on motorcycles. Uh, I guess one thing I would like to do is one of the few places I have not traveled to is Germany. Uh, I would like to travel over there. Uh, I have several times toured around Italy and France on a motorcycle. And I actually rode around the Isle of Man on a motorcycle and toured around England on a motorcycle. And nice. toured down, we've ridden around Central America through Mexico on a motorcycle. And a few years ago, I went down to Argentina and rode 2,000 miles on a
0: motorcycle. Oh, my gosh. Wow. That's incredible.
1: It was interesting. It was not the best ride because about three hundred miles of it on gravel roads and oh. I'm not fine of gravel and I have a very good picture of my bike lying down in the middle of the road and I'm not on it.
0: <laughs> yeah, gravel's a tough one, uh, no matter what kind of bike you're on. But uh well, Germany I remember Years ago, somebody tell me about there's lots of places in Germany where you can fly over and they'll give you bikes oh, yeah. to ride so that you don't have to ship a bike there. And tours, groups can go with you. They have planned stops, beautiful roadways. So I would imagine this is something you've um, experienced all over the world with your rides, or do you take your bikes to different countries?
1: Oh, definitely. I just fly in and rent, and uh, my wife has always been interested in doing on a tour, but I told her the thing about a tour is you're locked into a format. And, and, and kind of my game plan is you get up in the morning, you look at the map and think about where you want to go, and then you look at the weather channel and see what the weather's like. It's like, uh, last time we were in uh, Italy, we got up and we were talking about maybe going to Austria, and I looked, and there's 95% chance of weather. So, they we want to Switzerland.
0: Yeah, just go somewhere else.
1: <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, just kind of you know keep it open and like that, and then you just study maps and say, well, this looks like an interesting place to go to, and you go there and yeah. so forth. But if you're with a group tour, they've already booked your lodging, so you have to follow that structure and be there. To, and so that's and sometimes you ride with people who you know just. I don't like riding with groups that much. When I was in Argentina, we were riding with a group, and I enjoyed that. And we all stayed kind of spread out. But I do know people who said they've been on rides with people that they weren't really comfortable, and wonder why they were on the same road.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Well, I've seen that with car clubs, too, where you take off with a group and there's always a couple yahoos that go way too fast, cause problems. And uh, then you just you feel like you either have to try to keep up with them or you go, ah, let them go. And then what's the point? So uh, lots of different options there. Let's talk about a special vehicle. I know you mentioned this Matchless. It's a G15 CS. Is that right?
1: G15 CSR.
0: G15 CSR. So uh, is there a really special bike in your world that you've had?
1: Oh, I still have several Benson's I've had for years. I have a Turing repeat, as they call it, I bought in the early 80s. Ironically, I was recovering from being paralyzed. And, Wait, uh,
0: recovering from being paralyzed?
1: I had a very strange disease known as Guillain-Barre syndrome. Oh,
0: my father had to deal with that. It was horrible. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, so I'm just looking in Hemmings, and I see this advertising. This is back when you wrote letters back and forth.
0: Oh, yeah, the old days.
1: <laughs> yeah, and so forth. And I bought it, and I was you know, I was able to walk with a cane then. And I, my wife says she remembers me riding off on that bike with a cane strapped to the back. <laughs> So it was. And, it was
0: a Vincent touring.
1: Yeah, this uh, touring Man had these big steel fenders on it, and uh-huh. it the aluminum fenders. And I still have that bike. It's you know it's, it's all original uh, paint and so forth, uh, and uh, so forth. And then I have a uh, Shadow I ride a lot, which I found the frame was in New England, and I found the crankcases that belong with the frame in San Diego. Oh
0: my Civil. gosh, that's incredible
1: this will this will be a good barroom story, so uh, I, yeah, I think <laughs> reunited them and uh got uh the rest of it, I just built from parts off the shelf here, and uh this guy kind of, I call it my geezer bike, I've got an electric starter on it,
0: <laughs> <A> geezer bike <laughs> I love it, I love it, <laughs> well, I'm glad you recovered from that my father had that disease, oh, it's terrible, just terrible oh, it, is. it is, yeah. Well, I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit here, Summer. If you were manifest as a bike, this isn't what you want to be. This is your personality in some type of a vintage old bike, or it could be a new bike. Whatever you think fits with your personality, your persona. What would you be, and why?
1: Hmm. Well, that's a good one. Uh, I probably a Honda Seven Fifty.
0: Okay. <laughs> now we went to a different continent. Why a Honda 750?
1: Well, you know, they're uh, they're reliable. I try to think of myself as being reliable and consistent. And, and uh, you know, they were game changers. I'm not going to say I'm a game changer, mind you, but uh, so forth. But uh, that's kind of how I try to look upon myself. Ah,
0: Honda 750. Cool what are some ways that you like to help give back in this world of collecting old vintage bikes?
1: Well, my background, as I mentioned, was actually, was a lot of education in there too. Uh, and I like just writing about and teaching people about bikes, teaching about the history and the quirks in the history. How some things just came to be, uh, and uh you know sometimes it's just serendipity the way certain things happened in bikes and all sure uh, uh there's famous story about the way the uh vincent v twin came about is uh the designer phil irving who designed the single cylinder they call them hrds and he went to lunch one day and he had some drawings on his workbench and uh the breeze blew one slightly. When they came back, they were superimposed, and they looked at it, and, and it looked like a V-twin. He said, we can make a V-twin out of this. <laughs> cool. That, now, that might have been divine intervention, mind you. But, it could have uh, been, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they went forward to do it, and a lot of the single-cylinder parts interchange with the twin-cylinder parts now.
0: Let the breeze blow through the room. You never know where it might take you in, true, the, in, in the future. Well, how about a book? Is there a book you'd like to share with our listeners you really enjoyed?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I like reading about other people's motorcycle adventures and all. The most impressive one is by a guy named Dave Barr called Riding the Edge. Now, this also brings in to play my, you know, talk about, the only handicapped you want to be. Dave Barr was a uh, mercenary. He he outright said he just liked to work for armies. And he lost both his legs when they drove over a mine one time. So he got, you know, fitted, learned to walk again and so forth, and then took a Harley Shovelhead, which is not the most reliable bike in the world, and proceeded to ride it around the world.
0: Wow, incredible.
1: He talked about doing things where some days he was in Africa, and he might go 10, 15 feet, and the bike would fall over again or go down. He'd have to unpack everything, get the bike back up, repack it, and then sometimes maybe only make another 20 feet. Wow. And repeat as necessary. And the other thing is, he was not a very good mechanic. So anyway, you read that, and like I said, you're only handicapped if you want to
0: be. Yeah, it goes back to old Henry, working on those Ducatis. So uh, nobody's ever recommended that book. I'll put it on Summer's show notes page here on the Cars website. And when you look Summer up on the website, his first name is spelled S-O-M-E-R, last name Hooker easy to find. Sounds like a wonderful book to add to your library. Uh, Library of Courage, we'll call that. We'll be back in just a minute. Another very short break. We come back, we're going to go on the ultimate ride. So sit tight. Karziah yeah is proud to support our veterans, which is why I've teamed up with our nonprofit partner, Tech Force Foundation, through its Veterans at Work Military Transition Campaign. The tech shortage is very real, and our country needs skilled, qualified techs to keep our cars, trucks, airplanes, and fleets rolling. When so many vets build their skills in maintaining and servicing vehicles when deployed, TechForce helps transition those skills to jobs as professional technicians when they come home. Learn more about TechForce Foundation and its Veterans at Work Military Transition Fund at techforce.org today. We are back and I have a magic scepter here, Summer. It's the Carja yeah scepter. Can make anything happen. I'm going to arrange for you to go on the ultimate ride. Usually it's drive, but since we're talking bikes for you, it's the ride. This is a ride that you would take with someone else. You'd each have your own bike. So I need to know what kind of bike are you going to be riding? Who are you going to be riding with? And maybe what are you going to be talking about? Why this special person was chosen by you. So take a ride.
1: Okay. Well, I would probably be riding a BMW because that's typically what I've toured on and uh, I've have a long relationship with uh, BMWs. Uh, I would actually probably just be carrying my wife on the back because she's always ridden with me for years. We started riding together in 1970. Wow! And uh, so forth, and uh, she tells me how to ride. She just helps me <laughs> if I'm going too fast, and uh, so forth. Maybe I would like to. Across Europe with her again and you know the thing is is uh when you're riding a motorcycle you don't really talk much it's more like it's a form of meditation you just take in everything around you
0: it must be interesting I, I don't think I've ever been a passenger on a bike I've ridden bikes my, my first motorcycle was a Honda a CT70, a little tiny yeah, trail bike. My parents bought one for me and one for my sister. I wish we still had them. I saw one sell on Bring a Trailer the other day for something like (laughs) $20,000. It was crazy.
1: Some of those bring big money. Uh, Yeah,
0: I wish I'd kept them, but my parents sold them. I wish wish we'd hung on to them. Uh, Certainly fun little bikes, but that sounds like a nice ride, you know, do with your wife. But it'd be fun to be a passenger on the back just because you could just look at more because when you're riding you need to be focused obviously right not a lot of just visualization like in a car where you can drive for an hour and not even remember doing it you do that on a bike and you won't make it (laughs) an hour but that's true yeah that sounds like a fun ride for sure well you've taken us on a wonderful ride today and i really appreciate you taking some time i want to do a shout out to uh past cars yeah, i guess bruce sweetman he's the one that suggested that i connect with summer today so bruce thank you very much before i let you go is there a little parting piece or word of wisdom or advice you might offer us
1: well i'll go back to one thing i really learned by being in business and doing what i used to do i hardly do it anymore but is and this is something i actually learned working with kids and mental health and that's just be straight up and honest When I was dealing with kids, most of them had been lied to by their parents and authorities and so forth. They didn't trust people. And once they learned that you were being straightforward with them and you were going to do what you said you were going to do, which wasn't always positive consequences, uh, they learned to respect that. I learned that people respect when you're dealing with old vehicles just being as transparent as you can be, saying, you know, This is what I know about. These are the issues with it and stuff like that. And I learned in the long run, uh, it's a small community and your reputation is really, um, you know, what you are to protect that and so forth. So, you know, I've I've seen some people develop pretty tainted reputations over the years and uh, become, you know, as you say, toxic and so forth. As I tell people, you know, it's bad enough when you're dealing with something old because, you know, I always have to remind people, by the way, this thing is 50 years old. uh, Just be you know, straight up and be as straightforward as you can.
0: Straight up and honest. Boy, if only everyone in the world behaved that way. What a nicer place this would be. Are there some ways for people to follow you, keep up with you? Do you have a website? Do you do social media?
1: Oh, I am on uh, Facebook sometimes, and I still publish stuff for New Atlas, which is a website. The founder is a gearhead, and so even though they focus on other things, he's always uh, publishing auction results. He loves to follow various auctions and events, so... I do a lot of coverage of events like Amelia Island, McQuayle, Motorsports Gathering, Couple Beats, Concurso Italiano uh, for him, and he runs the pictures. Uh, You know, he kind of taught me a lot about publishing and getting pictures in. I mean, when I started out, it used to be, take the photos, get them developed, and mail them in. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, you know, it's like take the pictures, Photoshop them real quick, get them on a photo hosting site that I have, and send him the links to them so he can get them out ASAP. And so uh, it's, you know, interesting growth experience, you might say. But, you know, it's, it's good to learn new things. That's what keeps you
0: sharp. Absolutely. I'll make sure I put links to those on Summer's show notes page on the Carja website so you can follow along with him and all his adventures. Summer, thank you for being so generous today with your time and expertise and sharing your experiences with Carja. Yeah? We'll call it Motorcycles Yeah today. Until you and I talk again and we twist the wrist, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thanks for having me on the show. Enjoy talking with you and sharing experiences with the public. Uh, and always look out for motorcycles.
0: Absolutely. Summer's here. Keep your eyes open for motorcycles, please. <laughs> Summer could be out there riding. Take care. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to Carsia.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun.